Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. Today, we will discuss the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was released in 1999. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones was released in 2002. And Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith was released in 2005, all written and directed by George Lucas, starring Hayden Christensen, Natalie Portman, and Ewan McGregor. And three, these three films accumulated a box office of almost $3 billion global. The whole world was surprised when Lucas announced that he was going to make uh, the first one, uh, Phantom Menace. And the anticipation for it was intense because it had almost been two full decades since there was a Star Wars movie and I mean, the fans are very fervent fans. And so when he announced it, the excitement was incredible. And this is when the internet became prominent in the world. And I remember this is probably the biggest pop culture phenomenon on the very early beginnings of the internet, if you remember. Mm -hmm. In 1999, it made a billion dollars and everyone went and saw this movie. And not only was it during the time and spawn of the internet, it was also the, the spawn of CGI on a massive scale you know this had never really been done before in terms of having the majority of a movie shot with blue screens and green screens and using a lot of computer graphic imaging which was um done you know obviously we've seen it in jurassic park where we actually see actors with dinosaurs at the same time like the herd uh sequence is one of the most famous parts of that movie in terms of cgi but uh but george lucas took it to a whole new level with phantom menace and also with the other two films because the Phantom Menace was shot on film, but Attack of the Clones and then Revenge of the Sith, those two films were shot with HD cameras, which George Lucas ended up helping develop for these films. Yeah, yeah HD cameras didn't exist before these movies. Everything was your standard definition. And so if you like watch old TV shows or old news reports or old um, like live sporting events or whatever, like it's usually in like a boxy aspect ratio and the quality is poor. Because that was the best definition that video cameras had at the time. And so he wanted to shoot on video because he knew that the special effects, as good as they were, they didn't compare to the film. So when you had uh, images made with film like a character or maybe different parts of a set blended with the CGI, it didn't quite look right. And so what he decided was he wanted to shoot digitally. And HD is a much smaller resolution than a film strip. And so the quality is a lot less on HD so that way the CGI blended together and looked better along with the captured images they filmed. Yeah. The best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is become a patron at patreon.com. Patrons get perks like personalized messages, personalized videos, our podcast schedules. Top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast and every patron also gets access to exclusive content and monthly patron only giveaways. Head on over to our new website, RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com. Check out all of our sources of content, our merch, our movie posters. You can also become a patron there. Be sure to follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube if you're watching, and please enjoy this episode. He wanted to shoot The Phantom Menace with HD cameras, but the technology just wasn't there yet, and they eventually developed the Sony HDWF900 camera for filming the, the episodes two and three, and they actually did two or three shots of the Phantom Menace are in HD to kind of play with it. But again, the technology wasn't there yet. And they pretty much developed these cameras on the fly. And he pretty much pioneered digital photography and film and digital filmmaking. And obviously a lot of filmmakers today have adopted it. Like most notably, probably David Fincher is, has really just taken a hold of film. I mean, digital filmmaking ever since Zodiac was the first movie he made digital. 
And it's just in James Cameron, for example, too. He's Soderbergh. Also, he's also pioneered too. Yeah, Soderbergh. I mean, he shot with an iPhone, so he doesn't even <laughs> care. But um, it's changed cinema forever. Pros and cons, obviously, to having digital versus film. But I think it was an inevitable change that was going to happen. I respect filmmakers that use digital. I don't really have a, a big qualm with it. I prefer film, but if it is how you work best and it's obviously more efficient. Still looks great today. I mean, the cameras today are phenomenal. I don't think it will ever compare to film, but it's getting pretty close. I think one day it will surpass film, but maybe in a couple of decades. And a lot of people think that James Cameron like created the filmmaking style that he used for Avatar. Yes, he created, he helped develop the motion te capture technology, but I'm talking about the actual um, CGI sets that were live. So these movies, George Lucas implemented the live CGI sets while they were filming. So like, even though they have the, the actors in front of a blue screen or a green screen on their video village on their screens, they can actually see what it looks like with the character inside uh, a, a crude rendering of that set and environment. So he actually created that um, filmmaking style with this movie. And then these were also the first films where Yoda was first used as a CGI replacement because they filmed Phantom Menace and they filmed it with a puppet Yoda originally, but then they replaced it digitally. And the digital Yoda, it looks pretty damn good. Yeah, and I mean, it's not bad. It looks terrific in terms of like the lighting hitting him and his hair and everything. So the detail was really spot on, and I think they they knocked it out of the park at, for the time. I just want I want to talk about the hate that this movie and Attack of the Clones get. Just, I mean, a lot of people hate the prequels in general. Yeah, I just think that so many people they detest these movies, and they're not perfect movies. But they're not bad. They can be the first two. Yeah, they can be a little slow at times. But I think that people overreacted, I think, to these films because they were expecting the original movies. But these are, I think George Lucas was doing something different. And also, like, so many people, like, had the attitude that, like, oh, those movies ruined my childhood. And it's like, well, first of all, if a movie ruins your childhood, then you need to get your act together because you're a bum. Like, how entitled yeah. do you have to be? How, how spoiled <laughs> are you that your movie ruins your life? That Star Wars ruined my life. People are starving <laughs> around the world and you're you're crying about Star Wars. And also, like, people, like, hate George Lucas for these movies. But the thing is, like, you can't hate George Lucas. He created Star Wars. Like, he made this. And it's kind of it's super disrespectful to not appreciate what he did in the 70s and 80s because it was so monumental and he changed from cinema forever and he created one of the most loved stories ever told ever and it will go down in time as one of the most loved stories ever to ever told and i think that people overreact to these movies i think they didn't understand what george lucas was doing where he's like i want to make this uh, accessible for kids because if you think about it he's telling anakin's story from being a child to being an adult. So like kids can grow up watching these movies and seeing his journey and being able to relate to the lead character. Yeah, and I mean, again, he changed filmmaking. We just talked about that earlier. He changed filmmaking to he's the pioneer, the main pioneer for digital filmmaking. And and also when you think about it, the prequels, it's almost like an impossible task. Like how do you not even try to match, but tr try to tell the origin stories for these beloved characters where you mentioned a Star Wars movie hadn't been made in a couple decades and... Everyone adores the characters of Luke and Leia and Han Solo and obviously Vader. Like, how do you tell the origin story for Darth Vader? That sounds so daunting of a task. And I think he did a great job. And that's the main the main plot device of the trilogy is to tell the origin story of this fallen Jedi 
who becomes a Darth Sith apprentice and the Darth Vader and the right hand of the Empire and and the galactic evil that's taking over the galaxy. And I think that's one of the most fascinating aspects of the movie and also telling the origin story of Luke and Leia and also the ascent of Palpatine to the Chancellor and control of, of the Galactic Empire as showing and also showing the growing powers of the Sith and the dark side. Let's do a movie poster giveaway contest. Here are the rules. This giveaway is sponsored by MoviePosters.com. In order to win this poster, all you have to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel, Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Then go to this episode on the Star Wars prequels and then comment your favorite movie in the comment thread. All you have to do is pick any movie you want, throw it in the comment section, and in one week, we will pick the winner. Again, the Star Wars prequel trilogy episode. This giveaway is sponsored by MoviePosters.com. Use our coupon code RAIDERS15 for 15% off today. Yeah, so obviously there are some bad parts to these movies. They're not perfect, but there's a lot of great things about them. Uh, and one of my favorite things is how we learn about Palpatine, how he starts out as who we think is a, a person who's fighting for good, and then it's actually Palpatine the whole time. And I think that um, by Revenge of the Sith, Anakin's storyline is very engrossing and very dramatic, and I think they did a great job. And I think, you know, Obi-Wan's fantastic in these movies. I think that uh, Padme, even though she kind of doesn't get too much to do in the third one, she's a great character in Attack of the Clones. And, I, I mean, we got some memorable villains like Darth Maul, a fan favorite, and... Um, General Grievous is great. So Count Dooku is cool. Dooku is great. There's a lot of great elements to these movies, and I think that by the Revenge of the Sith, um, it's firing on all cylinders, and you could call Revenge of the Sith easily one of the top five Star Wars movies. Absolutely, yeah. I think it has the best lightsaber battle between yeah. Obi Wan and and uh, Anakin for sure. Absolutely, and the journey of Anakin Skywalker is the most fascinating part of this trilogy. It's the main theme of it, and. Star Wars in general, I think it's a lot of it's about family, it's about love, but it's also Anakin Skywalker. I think that him and also Hayden Christensen got kind of a bad rap when this movie came out, and he seemed like like a horrible villain, but really he's a tragic hero in a lot of ways. And and I think Hayden Christensen, he he's a lot better in these movies than you would think. It's it's the dialogue in these movies is trash sometimes. No offense, George Lucas, I think he's even admitted that the dialogue is not very good in he a lot of sequences. He purposely wrote them as very melodramatic on purpose that's yeah. just the way he wanted to do it so hayden christensen can only do so much with the lines he's given i don't think many actors could have done much more than him with the with the material he had yeah and on top of that george lucas isn't generally working with the actors on set he's usually he's telling them like what the scene is but then there's another person on set i can't remember what their title was but they actually helped direct the actors in terms of their acting because george lucas I think spent more more of his focus on the filmmaking of the movies, and so you kind of imagine like they kind of were just left out in the open because he, Natalie Portman, amazing actor, fantastic actor, Phantom Menace, very I think is her most flat performance of all time, yeah. like all of her movies. It seems like they do two takes and then they're done. Yeah, exactly, and she's an incredible like very few people can have the natural talent that she has. I mean, she's amazing in Leon. I mean, she emotes so much in that movie, and then in this movie the acting is just like so not her level. So I think it's a matter of like, you're right. Christensen did the best he could with Woody who was given. Yeah. And Anakin is such a great character because we see the ascent from this innocent and talented child to this immensely powerful Jedi. And then eventually Darth Vader. And he went from being a slave on Tatooine to 
a committed servant of the Jedi Order, and then eventually the servant of Darth Sidious. And so he kind of never has experienced freedom before in his entire life, his entire existence. He's, in a way, been in slavery or in some sort of trade or under the command or control of an order or something. And also, you could factor in, there's a very major hint that uh, Yoda reveals in Phantom when Qui-Gon tries to bring him to the council to ask for permission to train Anakin because... And they initially rejected the offer because they say that Anakin, even though he's a kid, he's still too old to begin training. And so I think that Jedi's, they start so young that they haven't experienced um, too much life, too much like real life, like whether it be um, some, it doesn't have to be something tragic. It can be having a relationship. Like he has a mother who he loves. Or emotions in general. Yeah, emotions in general because that up that having that childhood ends up being the ultimate crux to Anakin um because the first major step he takes to the dark side you could say is that after his mother was killed he goes and slaughters that village of of uh, raiders and so if he never had that childhood if he was brought to the council earlier he never would have had that intense love for another person which ended up being turned against him. Yeah, it seems like the Jedi are taken at such young age that the Jedi become kind of their parental figures because because he's got a mother that he cares about. That's what where Yoda senses the fear inside of him, and fear leads to the dark side because fear leads to to pain and anger and and revenge and 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 obviously the dark side. And the first film explores those hidden traits inside Anakin that could make him the prophesized one. Obviously, that incredibly high. 20,000 minute chlorian count which is even higher than yoda um but again yoda senses much fear in the boy the second film explores anakin with his incredible jedi powers he's even more, he's even more powerful and advanced than obi-wan kenobi and you see like a lot of back and forth between these two characters because obi-wan's trying to be the master but anakin's clearly more talented than him it's kind of a competition in a way yeah so and obi-wan struggles like how do i Keep this kid under control. Yeah. Well, he knows he's better than I am. But he's also insecure at times and yeah. tries to make up for it uh, where Anakin's better than him. He also, in the second film, also explores his relationship and his love for Padme. But also, like you said, the loss of his mother and the secret love mixed in with that too. But the loss of his mother leads to more of these teases of Anakin towards the dark side where he slaughters, you kill the Tusken Raiders, the adults, whatever, but slaughtering the children of that tribe is even worse. And then the third film explores him succumbing to his fears to save Padme because he sees visions of her dying and he ends up being the person that kills her in a way. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. This intermission is brought to you by Manscaped. The leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming use our coupon code RAIDERSOFTHELOST for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Over 2 million men are using Manscaped products right now, including their incredible waterproof lawnmower 3.0 groomer, which has a built-in light. It's waterproof, sensitive to the touch. You can use it in the shower, use it anywhere. These products are fantastic. Everyone listening, it's April, which means it's Testicular Cancer Awareness Month, and Manscaped's trying to bring awareness to that affliction of a lot more men than you'd think. It's estimated that about eight to 10,000 men each year will develop testicular cancer. So April is a month that Manscaped is helping bring awareness to this affliction. So definitely keep an eye on your jewels, fellas. And if you're listening, hop on Manscaped products, their colognes, their deodorizers, the boxer briefs I'm wearing right now. I wear them all the time. They're so comfortable. These products are fantastic. They're great gifts for the men in your life. Everyone listening, and guys, get on Manscaped ASAP. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. And so going back to the mom, I think that Padme is a result of him having a mother because he grew up with the love of a, mo- a mother, a love of a woman. And so he is obviously likely going to fall in love with a woman, whereas if he had grown up with like the monk-like environment from from being a toddler. He never would have had those feelings and or developed feelings of love towards a woman, and so he would, never would have fallen in love with Padme. And so I think having a mom directly correlated to him falling in love with a woman in this case, Padme. Because Jedi, they're not supposed to love. They're not allowed to love. That's a great comparison, calling them sort of monk-like. They're not really supposed to explore their feelings. That's that's because. The ones who explore their feelings end up on the dark side. And that's how the Sith rises because they use their passion for power versus um, the, the the Jedi use humility or selflessness with their power. And it's and it's not just bad feelings. The the purest and best intention feelings are the most dangerous. And hence, love the love is what turns Anakin south more than anything because he is it, his love for Padme creates this fear of losing her. And that fear of losing her motivates him to do whatever it takes to save her life, which Palpatine uses to his advantage. Yes, he's not a bad guy, really. He he doesn't go to the dark side for lust. He doesn't go for power like like Count Dooku does. In Palpatine, I'm sure just he just wants power. Yeah, I think that was he's his not path. materialistic. He he just went to the dark side because he thought it'd be the only way that he could save the person that he loves the most, Padme. And unfortunately, Sidious knew Anakin's fear and manipulated that out of him to control him and make him become Darth Vader. And it's a brilliant plan by Palpatine because he's the one who tasked Dooku with hiring the Tusken Raiders, which killed Anakin's mother because he knew that it would set Anakin off on a path towards the dark side. And so it's a brilliantly laid out plan by Palpatine uh, carried out across the three films. Oh, let's talk about him for a minute because yeah. he's arguably the most well-crafted character in the entire trilogy. Yeah. He's such a great villain because he's able to hide his Sith intentions from the Jedi Council and the Jedi Council at times, they also show their arrogance in these films, and he's able to to grab power by creating the civil war and getting elected a uh, chancellor. He actually be- comes into power the same way Hitler did, because Hitler, was Hitler wasn't elected through an election or anything like that. What happened was the current chancellor of Germany, he had lost the love of the people. The German population was devoted to Hitler and wanted him in power. And so the current chancellor literally just stepped down 
and gave Hitler the power. And so something very similar happens here where um, Palpatine, he uses wars. Um, first, it's the trade war in the first film and then a war against the Jedi to eventually gain power from the Senate and then and then enact that power by claiming by proclaiming himself the emperor so he uses the trust of the people and their support of him and turns it over turns it on them to to take over literally the entire galaxy and he spends all this time also at the same time crafting his greatest creation which will be darth vader through anakin because of course he has darth maul he has count dooku and he has general grievous but these guys are basically stepping stones to get to the real deal darth they're, vader they're the b squad yeah but you can say that you could imagine that or think that these are different parts of what darth vader would become you know maul is just this loyal servant he's very a skilled fighter um but he's but but more than that he's just really is just obedient more than anything and then count dooku he's different because he doesn't take the Darth uh, title. He keeps his own name. He also seems to only use the dark side for power for himself and for for uh, just gaining more wealth and and just, just selfishly as a tool, you could say. And then General Grievous is another part of Vader where he's a mechanical being because Grievous was he's not really just a robot. He was a being but he's being kept alive by robotic parts. So they all kind of form into what Vader would become, I think. And it's that rule where there's only there's only two Siths, right? There's only two at a time, a master and this the uh apprentice, but got it. I love how Yoda's like, but which one did we get? Yeah, which one do we get? And one of my one of the most important scenes to Anakin's path to the dark side is actually in the opening of Revenge of the Sith when he's uh defeated Count Dooku and defeated, you mean sliced his head off? No, no, not yet. Not <laughs> okay. yet. And Palpatine is trying to convince Anakin to to execute him, but Anakin is, I can't execute him, I, I'm a Jedi, we have to try him. And Palpatine twists his words and convinces Anakin that the best thing to, do, to the best thing to do would be to kill this man right now, because then that would end his ability to escape custody or of some kind. And um, Anakin eventually gives in and, and kills Dooku. And this is the, the biggest stepping stone, I think, for Anakin because he killed an unarmed man right in front of him. And I'm so glad you brought that up because it re relates directly to Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi when he has the opportunity to kill Sidious when he gives him the lightsaber. He's like, go ahead and kill me. And this is the point, this is the difference between Luke and Anakin where you can obviously see that An where Luke was tempted by the dark side. He wears all dark like his father did when he was a Jedi. Obviously, Anakin and Re Revenge of the... I mean, Return uh, Revenge of the Sith. But Luke Skywalker... He decides to put his weapon down and just let it go. And, and he has to depend on his father basically to save him. But he chooses not to execute Palpatine at the time. And that's the difference between Luke and Anakin because Luke has learned from his father's mistakes. And he's watched what his father's become through the dark side and through the, the corruption of Sidious. Yeah, that's a great point of why Anakin and Luke are so different from one another. But also so similar. But yeah, so similar because Luke, I mean, we made the argument about Anakin having his mother and having developed emotional connection to another person and losing them. And then the fear of Padme is our major factors to him becoming a, a dark Sith. But Luke went through the same problems. His family was murdered. 
you know, he he developed a, a strong bond with his aunt and uncle, and they were they were slaughtered. Um, he fell in love with Leia at one point, and obviously was fearful of her life as well. And so they do they did have similar paths, but Luke, I think, was is just such a pure being that even when he is tempted by the dark side, he always rejects it. I think it's because he's watched what his father's become. I think that's the reason. Yeah, Yoda is always informing him about the dangers of the dark side. But I don't know. I think that there's just something innately wrong with Anakin that just got exacerbated that Luke didn't have when he grew up. It's possible. It's a yeah. good It's a good debate. Yeah. It's a good conversation. But either way, love is a huge theme in these films, and the Jedi push love away. But it seems like Qui-Gon kind of had that aspect still inside of him because he really believed in Anakin. He really wanted to be that father figure in Anakin's life. But the Jedi, they don't believe in using love. They don't want love in, or emotions in general because, as we've stated, it leads to the dark side. It leads to fear. But the Jedi have also become very political at this point in their story, in their timeline. And But what's cool about the Jedi is, they're we've said before, they were inspired by samurai. And in feudal Japan, samurai were used for political reasons. Like they were like mercenaries for hire, essentially, for different parts of Japan that were warring with one another. And so the Jedi are being used the same way, where they're being um, they're like a, a tool for the um, for the Senate to use for good. But also, I think their politicism has made them lazy in a way, or. Because how does the Sith develop? I mean, it hasn't been around a millennium, but how does the Sith develop right under their nose? Not just under their nose, but like with the guy who's constantly in the room with them and a the guy that they support politically with Palpatine. I think it's because they, they push away love and they push away emotions, but also they don't teach about the Sith. They don't teach about the dark side. So it's harder for these young Jedi to come up and avoid the dark side if they never learn about it. And also, it goes to show how powerful the dark side really is because the Jedi, usually they can sense force power from planets away. It's like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, but with a, a Sith Lord like Palpatine, he's so powerful and has so much control over his power in the force where he's able to suppress, I guess, whatever signal force-sensitive people will usually give off. And so that he is basically undetectable by other Jedi by Jedi, even when they're in the same room as him. So it shows you how powerful he is where he's able to stand in the room with like Mace Windu and this guy isn't even able to register this, that, that Palpatine is Force-sensitive force in any way. And how cool is Qui-Gon in this movie? Qui-Gon in the first film is, is one of my favorite Jedi in general and Liam Neeson is amazing and at the time he was exploding, he was in Schindler's List and so he was just a really well-respected actor and I think he's one of the best cast actors in the trilogy, maybe the best cast, cast actor, and he's just the epitome of who you would want or what you would want a Jedi Knight to be like. Yeah, and I think they needed a veteran actor on set because everyone else is pretty young, especially like Ewan, Ewan McGregor is only like in his early 20s, and, and Natalie Portman I think was 16, and then the kid who played Anakin was what, 8 or 7, and so very, very young cast, and so they needed, I think, a veteran um, actor to kind of like lead them you could say as a group and Liam I think he just has a lot of the Qui-Gon qualities as well he seems like a very stoic uh, wise man um, and he seems like he's weathered and 
knowledgeable and but also he seems like a, a kind person and means well and so i think he instilled qui-gon with a lot of those qualities naturally yeah and i think you can look at qui-gon's death to being one of the main reasons why anakin turns dark is because qui-gon was going to be his master trainer he was going to be that father figure in his life and obi-wan ended up having to take that mantle and obi-wan really just took this duty as a dying promise to qui-gon Jin to train the boy and Qui-Gon was telling that he's the chosen one. And I think that's why they, that's obviously why they call the song during that scene the duel of the fates. It's the fate of the child, what's going to happen to him. And Darth Maul clearly served his purpose for Palpatine, obviously an expendable part of his, his journey to gaining galactic power. Darth Maul means nothing to him. He'll let him die no matter what. But Darth Maul's job essentially was to alter the fate of the boy, which he did by killing Qui-Gon. Because you can imagine that if Qui-Gon Anakin, trained Anakin, his entire life probably would have been different. Everything would have played out probably differently. I don't I don't think so. I think it still would have played out because, like we said earlier, he had those intense feelings of love towards another human being who was obviously used against him. And so I, don't think, I think there was no avoiding his path, which is why the council expressed so much worry about him, even when Qui-Gon brings him to the council. Yeah, I, th I think yeah. it's up for debate, though, because Obi-Wan clearly wasn't— he did his best, but Obi-Wan technically wasn't even officially a Jedi yet. He was still a Padawan and when he had to take on the training for Anakin at the time. So maybe if Anakin, Anakin had a better trainer, because the second film, Attack of the Clones, a lot of that movie is them butting heads. They're bickering. They're kind of uh, – Obi-Wan does things like he, he publicly shames him in front of like Padme and some of the other characters to kind of – Gain dominance, in his place. Yeah, yeah, to put him in his place. But at the same time, Anakin is clearly showing um, more force sensitivity. He's more powerful. He's a better fighter. He's more athletic. But Obi-Wan's also trying to... He probably feels insecure, like when he jumps out that window onto the robot. It's like Jesus, bro. You're like, calm down. Like nobody's <laughs> watching besides Anakin, which is probably what you want. So I think that they have an a tense relationship in Attack of the Clones. But then it turns into a very brotherly relationship in Revenge of the Sith because. As Anakin says at the top of the hill, when he's after he slices him in half, he says we were brothers. Whereas Qui Gon would have been a father Wait, to Obi Wan. Him. Says that. That's, oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? Anakin. Sorry. When Obi Wan's standing over Anakin after he slices him in half at Revenge of the Sith, he's saying that we were brothers, Anakin. Whereas Qui Gon would have been a father to him. I think it would have just been a little different. Yeah, I mean, you can make that argument. You know what I wanted to see that was missing from the prequels? I wanted to see the Jedi trials. Like oh, like their training? Yeah, no, the trials, the test to become a Jedi oh, that, that cool. Obi-Wan was supposed to do. They mentioned at the end of the first film, like, what the the test to become a Jedi is. That must be really cool. Yeah. must be really hard. That's something that I was like, oh, I wish I could have seen that. That's, that's something that was missing, I think. But, I mean, the relationship with Obi-Wan and Anakin, you're right. It is very complicated. And it is complicated because they are so close in age by the third one. And, yeah, that, that changes things. And Anakin... He he keeps things from from Obi Wan and routinely does things that are not the Jedi way, and it's this rebellious nature that he can't control. And you know the path to the dark side. Yes, there are big moments, but then there are little moments. And you know, tr pursuing pursuing Padme, pursuing love, which he knows is a major rule in the Jedi's of against um, pursuing love. But he does it anyway. But also, sorry to interrupt no, you. Go ahead. Anakin's not the only one going against the Jedi Order. 
the council themselves are doing things against the Jedi Order, like having Anakin spy on Palpatine later on. So I think he's at a crossroads of who to trust and where does he fit in? Like, obviously, he wants to be a Jedi. He wants to be not just a Jedi. He wants to be a great Jedi. He wants to be more than a Jedi. But also the Jedi are doing some shady things and they're becoming very political. They're asking him to do things that he's not comfortable with, like spy on Palpatine, who's becoming more close in his ear. Before we continue, I have to tell you about MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online. Use our coupon code Raiders15, again Raiders15, to get 15% off your order today at MoviePosters.com. If you're looking at our set online, you'll see that it is decked out with these amazing posters. They have every size, framing, backlighting, pretty much any movie imaginable. MoviePosters.com has it. If you're a fan of movies and TV shows, there's no better way to express that love than with the movie poster. Again, go to MoviePosters.com for all your needs and use our coupon code Raiders15, again Raiders15, at MoviePosters.com for 15% off your order today. And eventually Palpatine becomes the only person he trusts, which is the, you could say is the ultimate turning point for Anakin where uh, the only the only person he can trust is the dark Sith that's trying to turn him to the dark side. And so Palpatine eventually wins the battle for Anakin's soul by being his friend and by earning his trust. More on that. After this intermission, welcome to Raiders of Lost Podcast Intermission brought to you by Manscaped. This is the first time we're doing this. We're going to have some fun in the middle of this episode. We're going to do some some movie quote competitions between me and Anthony and see who wins. You guys can play along as well. We're going to do uh, some some. We're going to do a biggest hater of the week. Oh, I can't wait for that. So, so we have so many haters. So let's get started with our special Raiders of Lost Podcast Intermission. Let's start with our our movie quote challenge competition whatever you want to call it so um i'm gonna read a movie quote and then anthony has to guess the movie and i'll do the same thing with him so movie quote you're gonna eat lightning and you're gonna crap thunder you're gonna eat lightning and you're gonna crap thunder You're going to eat lightning and crap thunder, <laughs> Rocky. Yeah, there he is. Nice. <laughs> Good job. I was like blanking for so long. <laughs> I, honestly, I, was, I thought it was 50-50 shot. You'd get it. Yeah. This is a tough one. It's not, yeah. like, it's not a memorable I one. didn't want it to be super easy. Yeah. All right. Mine is... So this li- this quote, it, in the movie, it has a person's name in it, but it's a big giveaway, so I just eliminated the person's name from it. So Okay, so it says... I have no plans to call on you. The world is more interesting with you in it. Is you like what the person's name would be? No, I, it, it's it goes, I have no plans to call on you. Character's name. The world is more interesting with you in it. I have, say it again. I have no plans to call on you. The world is more interesting with you in it. Oh, I feel like I know this. The last part. Oh my god. Want me to do it with an impersonation? Yeah, d- do an impersonation. I have no plans to call on you. The world is more... Oh, more. Hannibal. Oh, it's, yeah. oh, Science of the Lambs. Yeah. Oh my god. Yep. Hannibal Lecter. That was a terrible impression. It was close, but like... <laughs> sorry. You got it when I did it. Yeah, it's, it's true. You can't say it was terrible. <laughs> I helped you get it. You got, you got it right away. <laughs> that was a great impression. <laughs> the world is more interesting with you in it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right, what? This is a Star Wars theme one. What year 
was Star Wars A New Hope released? <sighs> you got this. 1977. Nice. Yes. Two for two, this guy. Wow. I got I got another uh, George Lucas one for you. <laughs> what year was Raiders of the Lost Ark released? 1984. Nah. Uh, 81. 81. Yeah. It was right before yeah, Return, Return of the Return Jedi, Jedi, which yeah. is 83. God damn it. You, you can remember it. Um, Harrison Ford did the first yeah, two Star yeah, Wars movies, yeah. then Lost Ark. All right. Trivia question. All right. Who is... This is another Star Wars one. Who is the only person ever to receive an Oscar nomination for acting in a Star Wars movie? Oh, in a Star Wars movie? The only person acting to ever receive an Oscar nomination for acting in a Star Wars movie. <sighs> Give him five more seconds. Five, <laughs> four, three, two. Ian McDaird? For, no. 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 Alec Guinness, who is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, he got Harrison. nominated? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know he got nominated. Big time. Damn. All right. My trivia is, what was Steven Spielberg's first feature film? I've told you about it. It's that, it's like, uh, it's like the number. No, it's not that. No, there's no number in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the number. <laughs> I think it's George Lucas, actually. Yeah, THX 113. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steven Spielberg's first movie. Five. I don't know. It's called Duel. It's a it's about a truck driver, a, a psychopathic truck oh, driver yeah. who's harassing some guy yeah. on the road, trying to. It's like it was remade into a couple of times, but yeah. it's basically like a scary thriller. That was tough. It was really good. All right, let's go through some biggest haters of the week. Oh, let's hear it. So, this is this is a funny one. I hate how you guys always get internet points for saying the most obvious thing about any movie. <laughs> Man, that's some haterade and, and right there. And this was on a clip that we posted of Tenant, uh, just having a cool fun fact about how David John David Washington learned how to reverse fight for those chore the choreographed scenes in, in Tenant. That's such a cool little bit. It's a great little fun fact yeah. that he learned the choreography in reverse, but apparently... We just say the most obvious thing about any movie. The worst thing about that is if you look at the comments on that video, there are hundreds of people who commented, whoa, that's so cool. I did not know that. Like a lot of people don't know this stuff. Even if you do, a lot of people don't. Oh, I got another tenant hater comment uh, on our, our review of it. it. Terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> the, the time manipulation trope he keeps using made the ending of the movie predictable from the first 20 minutes. No so, way. So I responded that crazy that you predicted the end of the movie without knowing the main villain, time inversion rules, temporal pincers, or the other main characters. <laughs> <laughs> you don't find any of that out in the first 20 minutes. Exactly. But he predicted the end of the movie. Oh, my God. That's about reversing in time. I think that uh, that wraps up our, our little intermission right here. So that was a fun little break of getting the blood flowing and anthony clearly won that uh competition today so i give you the i think i got one with with the help of your accent yeah. you got <laughs> you got two out of three so you won congratulations asshole <laughs> i gotta get a trophy oh <laughs> we should yeah. good idea. yeah I'll, I'll buy one now let's get back to what we were just talking about with anakin and palpatine and it's one of the most interesting relationships of the trilogy which starts for st starts forming very early, and it's it's kind of the opposite of what happens between Obi Wan and Anakin, where 
In episode two, Attack of the Clones, they're constantly clashing, they're butting heads, they're growing further apart emotionally, whereas Palpatine is basically grooming Anakin for the for episodes two and three, and he's he's talking in his ear and he's saying everything that he wants to hear because Anakin really he just wants a master who will appreciate him or approve of him. He's looking for approval from Obi Wan Kenobi, but can never get it. I don't. He's not looking for a master. He's looking for someone who's who will talk to him like a another person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the most important scene in the entire trilogy, the most important scene, has got to be the opera scene with Palpatine and Anakin. Absolutely. And this is where Palpatine tells that great story about that ancient dark Sith who who was so powerful with the dark side that he was able to stop people from dying. Plagueis. Yeah, Plagueis. Pl- no, it's Plagueis. Plagueis? Yeah. Oh, cool. Darth Plagueis. Darth Plagueis. It's Plagueis. A, yeah. Darth Plagueis or Plagueis. It's spelled well, it, P-L-A-G. Yeah. 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 Who, who gives a fuck? <laughs> Some weird guy. Dar- Darth, who gives a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this guy. <laughs> this guy. Would, this fucking guy. This fucking, this guy, fucking Darth guy. <laughs> he was like, you don't want to die? Guess what? You're not going to die. So he was able to prevent people from dying. And so this story is vital to turning Anakin because it gives Anakin the idea, this inception he pretty much inceptions Anakin. <laughs> he gives him this idea that if I can become as powerful as that dark Sith was, then I could save Padme from dying, which I have foreseen in my dreams. Yeah, he asks, uh, can he learn that power? And um, Sidious, I mean, Palpatine's like, not from a Jedi. <laughs> and I love that story with Darth Plagueis, Darth whatever his fucking name is, because <laughs> <laughs> some Star Wars people get real upset with us. <laughs> they didn't pronounce his name right. <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. It's it's really great because we learn about how powerful he was, and he uses the Force and the midichlorians to create life. Is that how Anakin was created from Darth Plagueis or, or from someone like that? Because Anakin doesn't have a father. His mother can't explain what happened. She just became pregnant. He's basically Jesus as a Jedi. And <laughs> Jedi Jesus. And the great thing about this story is as Palpatine's telling it, he's basically talking about himself because he's talking about how Darth Plagueis taught his apprentice everything he knew, and then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. And the way that Palpatine says the story, it seems like he's he's relishing in the memory of what he's done to that Darth Lord. And he's in Anakin. He's not seeing through this, but later on, when Palpatine finally reveals who he is to Anakin, and that he's a Darth Lord, he does it just directly to Anakin, but uses his fear of not wanting to lose Padme, and learn and wanting to learn the power to save others from death, that lets him become or convinces him to become his apprentice. And at but but during the opera scene, that it's a perfect example of how Anakin's judgment has become very clouded at this point because just the fact that Palpatine is talking about Sith Lords that he's never heard of is very troubling and that's a big red flag um but Anakin doesn't seem concerned about that at all and so this is showing this is an early sign of Anakin not really caring about the information where the information came from or how Palpatine knows this stuff all he cares about is the knowledge itself. Yeah, but two things to bounce off that, like we said earlier, one of the reasons why the Sith is able to emerge and grow and come back is because the Jedi aren't teaching this stuff. They, they're they not teaching the knowledge of the dark side. 
to be able to warn these young Jedi as they're becoming older not to succumb or be enticed by the dark side. If maybe if Anakin had training on the dark side or had heard of some of these Darth Sith Lords, he would see that red flag that you were talking about. And also, you mentioned that Anakin's mind is very clouded in the scene and at this point because he also, before this point, when he started having those nightmares of, of Padme dying, he tried to get guidance from Yoda. And all Yoda really basically told him was to train yourself to let everything you fear, train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. And so to Anakin, that was not help at all. Yeah, because that would mean uh, eliminating Padme from his life. It's basically like, yeah, whatever, dude, deal with it. <laughs> Shit happens. <laughs> Here's a self-help book. <laughs> I know a couple of podcasts you can listen to. Help po self. Po podcast, I know. Help self by Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> and also a great scene is when Palpatine finally does turn. Um, but that well, he has that lightsaber fight with Mace Windu and those other Jedi, and he messes them up. And it's a great fight because it's surprising to see how he moves and how lethal he is. And, I mean, I, I love Sam Jackson, but he's got a great death scene in this movie. Oh, yeah, fantastic. He has a bunch of great death scenes in and, his career. And also we get to see how the Emperor's deformed face was created with this movie. And also that scene mirrors the scene earlier in the film where... Palpatine convinces Anakin to assassinate Count Dooku. He says he's too dangerous to keep alive. And Anakin questions the, the act of killing him at first, but then eventually succumbs to what Palpatine's basically ordering him to do. Then at the same exact, in that same scene where Mace Windu is about to kill Palpatine, he says to Anakin, he's too dangerous to keep alive. But then at this point, the Jedi Council has been going against the Jedi Order. They're, they've been having Anakin spy on Palpatine. They've been breaking their own codes. And because, like you said, his mind's so clouded, he doesn't trust the Jedi anymore. On top of that, he needs Palpatine. Because he literally tells Mace Windu, I need him because he needs Palpatine to save... Ha he thinks he needs Palpatine to save Padme. Yeah, so, although, so he has those two motivating things. Yeah, but although, although there's a ton of bad dialogue in these movies, <laughs> these two scenes, they reflect each other so well with dialogue. It's phenomenal. Yeah, they're it's great that's writing. A, that's a really good parallel. You're right about that, 100%. I love how fans would be like, we actually didn't see Mace Windu die. He's probably still alive. Mace he, Windu is super dead. He just flew out the window 2,000 feet in the air. <laughs> <laughs> He's super dead. Jason, uh, Samuel Jackson actually... Um, it was his idea to have a purple lightsaber. Yeah, he wanted that. He's yeah. like, come on, can I please have a purple lightsaber? George, well, he didn't say please. He told, he, well, George Lucas was like, well, Jedi only have green or blue. And Sam Jackson just goes to him, well, I want purple. <laughs> <laughs> I love Sam L. And I think my favorite scene, well, maybe not my favorite, but I think the best dramatic scene, so non-action, um, just, just in terms of dramatic acting and stakes would be the scene on the lava planet. What's it called? Mustafar. Mustafar. And it's this it's the exchange between Anakin and Obi-Wan. It's before they start their fight. And it's so it's so emotionally impactful be, because by this point Anakin is is gone. He's become Vader. And Obi-Wan hasn't seen this for his eyes yet. And then when he gets there, it is it's heartbreaking for him to see it. And it's, he's very reluctant to have to do this. And then it's a great dialogue exchange. And then when Obi-Wan draws his lightsaber out, it's like, it's it's very, very emotional, I think. 
Yeah, it's even more emotional because although they're butting heads in episode two and episode three, like I said, they have a very brotherly relationship. And like when they split up, yeah. yeah. And they and there's that very sincere apology that Anakin gives to Obi Wan, and you know all he wanted to do was please Obi Wan, become a Jedi, and save Padme. And Obi Wan even tells him that he's a better Jedi than he could ever hope to be. So their relationship has grown so much that Obi Wan admits that Anakin's better than him. And Anakin admits that he wasn't the best apprentice or Padawan that, that Obi-Wan could have deserved. And it's really sad because it, it then leads to Anakin, I mean, Obi-Wan discovering what Anakin's done and how Anakin is now part of the Darth side. And Palpatine has him carry out these evil acts because in order to gain the power to save Padme, he has to perform horrible things, horrible deeds. He has to assassinate Jedi. He has to assassinate the Jedi children. In order to get that dark power. And he even hurts Padme, which is when, uh, which is right after Obi-Wan shows up off the ship when he uh, force chokes Padme. Because Padme, Natalie Portman's character, she's realizing that the man she loves and the father of her children is a monster now. He's become a, a horrible monster. So it's, I think it's the, it's an emotionally devastating moment in the entire franchise. It probably is the the most emotional moment in the entire Star Wars universe, you could say. Yeah, I, I think it's really emotional before that too when Obi-Wan or Padme basically discovers that Obi-Wan's going to have to hunt him down and kill him. And it's that they have that really sad scene where he's trying to find Anakin and then they go after him. And obviously the lava planet, Mustafar, is I think it's the best lightsaber fight in all the movies. It's, it's sensational. The, the, the Revenge of the Sith in general might be one of the best Star Wars films because not only is the Lava Planet fight incredible, the opening of this movie is phenomenal. I mean, the opening of Revenge of the Sith, we have this 23 minutes of a space battle, saber fights, we have the Dooku assassination, we have Grievous's escape, we have the crash landing. So, so much happens in the first act of this movie action-wise and we never seen anything like it before. And then it just comes to a great end with this epic battle at the end, Battle of the Heroes. George Lucas intended that opening to be an hour long originally. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> but it's everything you would want in a Star Wars movie, I think, Revenge of the Sith. It's got every element that you desire. Yeah, I think it's extremely underrated. I could I think it's in my top three. It's really good. And that that the entire sequence on Mustafar is great. And a really cool behind the scenes fact about this is that technically the scene was storyboarded by Steven Spielberg. So all the shots in the pre-visualization. So pre-vis is something that films have been using, big films have been using in pre-production for uh, a couple of decades now, but it wasn't a thing. So pre-vis is, it's called, it's short for pre-visualization. And what it is, is filmmakers will storyboard their scenes with CGI and animation. So the entire film is literally created in a computer with very crude animation, but all the shots, all the movements, all the blocking, all the camera movements, whatever camera lens, or if this is going to be on a crane and go there, like the entire film is literally crafted on a computer. And then the filmmakers use this when they're on set to duplicate it on set and to try and get as close to that as possible. Like every Marvel movie, no matter what director they hire, it's already been basically directed on a computer beforehand and they just go on set and film the shots they're supposed to film so there is a little actually less creative freedom in terms of that 
And previs was mainly developed by George Lucas for these movies where he previs the entire film and then on set would, would shoot it that way. And with the third film, he was so overworked um, that he didn't have, t he didn't have like the time or the mental capacity to previs or in, in storyboard and imagine this scene. So he asked his buddy, Steven Spielberg to help him out. And so the entire Mustafar sequence was storyboarded and previsited by Steven Spielberg. So you can thank him for why that sequence is so excellent. Thanks, Steven. <laughs> and at the same time that Anakin's doing all this assassinating and the order so was, much was it Order 66 being is being taken out where all the all the Jedi are being assassinated. Palpatine is rising to power and creating the Empire. And I love the scene where it's a cross-cut of Anakin doing all the killing, all the unarmed people that he's killing, and then Sidious is creating the Empire in the Senate. It reminds me so much of Godfather when um, Michael is having all those assassinations <laughs> yeah. take place at the same that time baptism. that he's he's get, he's doing the baptism of his child and also gaining the power of, of, of the Mafia, basically. Killing his enemies. Yeah, yeah. So I think that those two scenes are completely mirrored of each other. Yeah. And also, I, another excellent lightsaber fight is Palpatine versus Yoda. That that fight was awesome because it was so unexpected. And Yoda, we saw him fight in Attack of the Clones, which was super cool when he fought Dooku. And he's just like bouncing all over the place. Uh, but I think the fight with Palpatine was really excellent and so well done. So exciting. It also explained why Yoda um, self-exiled himself um, when we see him in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, there's a bunch of other great saber fights. I mean, the, the fight with Count Dooku is fantastic, where it's Obi-Wan and Anakin who both get bested by Count Dooku, showing actually how talented and powerful he is. And then he and Yoda can't even take him out, and Dooku escapes. And then also Obi-Wan versus General Grievous is such a badass yeah, fight. Yeah, awesome. Because General Grievous has six lightsabers, and it's like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> or is it four lightsabers? I think it's I four. I think it's four. Yeah. yeah. Could be six. Someone's going to be like, it's only four lightsabers. It was actually seven lightsabers. <laughs> he had one for a dick. And <laughs> <laughs> the end of Revenge of the Sith is very sad, very emotional, because Luke and Leia are born. As Anakin transforms officially, his final transformation into Darth Vader. And... Le and Padme dies and I think a lot of people assume that Anakin killed Padme with the force choke but I think that it's actually Palpatine that kills Padme because Palpatine knows how to prevent someone from dying and it seems like Padme dies because Palpatine is taking her life force to save Anakin because Anakin's on his deathbed too and so Palpatine sucks the life out of Padme to save Anakin. I think that Padme dies because she loses the will to live. Broken heart? Yeah. Not just broken heart, but just like the the man she loves is a is a monster. So I think that she because she, and she's already in serious medical conditions, so I think that if she was in healthier state of mind, she would have obviously recovered, but because of what Anakin had become, I think she lost the will to fight to survive. I think it's the life force thing because we eventually then saw it later on in The the Last Jedi. Yeah, you're right. They did do that in The Last Jedi. Yeah, so I think yeah but you have to be touching them in The Last Jedi. You have to be, like, be touching the person. 
yeah, that's just because it's like Last Jedi. But he's, Palpatine's way more powerful than him. Yeah, I mean, you might. Hey, you might be right. You might be wrong. I think it's I'm right. Not, I'm not saying you're totally right, but it's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously he says like the son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. He will join us or die, and you know it's gonna be great. And then Joel Edgerton takes him. But I, but I think that also Palpatine or Sidious at this point takes another dig and another means of controlling Darth Vader's when Darth Vader comes to and he asks, where's Padme? Is she safe? Palpatine responds by saying, it seems in your anger you killed her. So I think this is another way for Palpatine to control her. Like I killed her and now control I control him. her. To, to control him, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's using, he's, he's using it to, he's blaming Anakin for Padme's death as a way of helping control him but also that creates a great amount of pain which will lead to more negative feelings and strengthen his devotion to the dark side so i think that making anakin believe that he killed his own wife is the final turning point for anakin to becoming um, darth vader you can you can argue now we're going to do a very special part of the episode where we go over some superlatives and fun categories of the movie. And our the first superlative would be, who do you think is the uh, MVP of the entire trilogy? The MVP? That's got to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, he's there. He's the heart of the entire franchise in a way. He's 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 represents pure good. He's an imperfect person. He's an imperfect Jedi, which is, I think, what's so great about him. But he seems to be eventually both a hero and creator in a way of Darth Vader. I'm going with Palpatine <laughs> <laughs> because for a few reasons. Okay. First of all, he won. He won in the end. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he pulled all the strings and made all of this shit happen. Oh dude, you're absolutely so right. So he had control yeah. over the entire plots and conflicts of all the films. And so like he controlled the entire trilogy. So I, I'm calling him the most valuable player of the entire trilogy. You're right. I should have even. I shouldn't have even just only done people on the on the side of the forest. That, hey, it's just because you're a good guy. Yeah. And I'm a dark. You're guy. you're totally right. Well, I'm I'm Slytherin, man. Yeah, that's true. All right. Best scene. Best scene. Non-action. So I think there are a bunch of really great scenes. I would say the best scene. Oh, it might be after Obi Wan defeats Anakin, and he's like screaming at Anakin, like "You are the chosen one. You're supposed to defeat the Sith, not join them." I just think that Ewan McGregor kills that scene. You can really see how much how much pain he's feeling, and then you can see the just how furious Anakin is, uh, and it's great. And just like right before that too was the. Don't do it, Anakin. Don't jump. I have the high ground. Yeah, it's a, it's unbelievable. I think that is. I think that's the best scene. I think I would pick just to be different. I would pick the scene where he, his mother dies in his arms, and he finds the Tusken Raiders and slaughters them because I think that's the biggest turning point in Anakin's life, and the biggest catalyst to start him on the direction of the dark side. So. It might not be the best scene, but I think it's the most important scene for the character of Anakin falling from the height of being a Jedi Knight to becoming a Darth Sith. That's a great Apprentice. scene. I think a really good scene, well, it's not a scene, but it's just like a, a part of a scene is when 
um, when Qui-Gon is fighting Darth Maul and Obi-Wan is trapped behind that laser door and he, and he watches uh, Qui-Gon get killed and he can't do anything about it and he just screams and then and then he's waiting for that door to open and he's like amping himself up to run out once the gate opens and then he, once the, the laser goes away, he just charges at Darth Maul. It's such a great moment. It's, it's the best moment of that movie, I'd say. All right, best shot. I think I'm going to pick a similar shot to what I just said. I think that um, Anakin on the speeder with the two sunsets to his right the is binary, yeah. one of the most beautiful shots in the trilogy for sure. Yeah. Anakin and Padme, they go to Tatooine and the sun is, it's like, it's dusk. So the sun is low and Anakin's shadow is um, pouring onto a round hut they're at and the shadow the shape of the shadow looks exactly like Darth Vader, like he's wearing yeah. a helmet because of Anakin's hair in that film. And so I think that that shot where you can see Darth Vader, the presence of the Vader character there is as a shadow, I think is just like the coolest shot in the whole movie. And also speaking of Vader, the shot of him getting his helmet on, like while he's laying in the bed and the helmet comes on, and then there's like smoke right above him, and you just see his breath go, his yeah. first breath, and the air move, and the smoke moves. It's it's beautiful, yeah. but also terrifying. That's a great shot too. It's it's great when he gets in the Vader suit. I love it. It's so clean. No, it's like a brand new car. That thing is shining. Oh, not yeah. a, not a speck of dust on it. Oh yeah. Who's the who do you think is the worst character? The worst character, it's definitely Jar Jar Binks, man. It's not his fault. It's like they made it to sell toys. They made it for kids. I When I watched the first movie, I, I try to think of it like it's a cartoon in a way. Like yeah. thematically and plot point wise. When we were kids, we loved him. Yeah. He was awesome. I, you, I, we had, I had a Jar Jar Binks toy, you know? Yeah. But that's what he's, he's there for kids. I would say young Anakin. <laughs> you hate young Anakin. He sucks. <laughs> Every, I think it's just the that performance is not the kid. Is, I just don't think that. I think they should have cast an older actor to be Anakin, like maybe early teen. I think it would have been it would have worked out better. I think that kid was too young. It didn't quite have the the talent. He didn't seem comfortable in his scenes, and so I just think that the acting performance wasn't up to par with the movie. I think he did good for his age. He did he did great oh, yeah, for his age. He he did fine for his age, but I mean, I think that. He was set up to like not. He wasn't given a great opportunity to give a great performance. I think he should have. He clearly wasn't directed very well. You can tell. Mm-hmm. He seems just like kind of like I'm gonna say my line and then I'm gonna say this line. So it's not his fault. He's a kid, seven I'm, or I, eight. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm saying they should have got someone older because it's a complex role. What do you think is the worst scene? The worst scene of the trilogy. I think just all the scenes of Anakin and Padme in Attack of the Clones just straight trash. <laughs> Sit frolicking in the grass. Oh my god, they're like rolling around on the grass like, what is what is happening right now? I would say it's Anakin and Padme's first conversation. <laughs> when he's a kid? <laughs> yeah, when he's a kid. It's so awkward. <laughs> it's so awkward. What do you think is the most underrated part of the trilogy? I think the themes of the movies are the most underrated part because I think a lot of people look at the prequels and they think, oh, these movies are terrible. The dialogue's bad. Hayden Christensen's terrible. But the themes of the movie are so deep when you understand the character arcs and the story arcs of of the journey, the fall of Anakin, the rise of the Sith. I think thematically it's more powerful than you'd think, even though, I mean, the first and second one, yeah, but the third one is just so powerful 
and how it it ties up all these knots and we learned so much about these characters that we didn't know much about before i think just that's like the most underrated aspect of these of these movies yeah it's like um like great classic literature in a like way shakespeare yeah. like Excalibur. tragic hero yeah it's a great point i would say the visual effects because obviously it isn't up to par anymore the first two movies but i think that i don't think people will truly understand how George Lucas revolutionized filmmaking again with this with these movies, especially Phantom Menace, where using so much CGI and then with Attack of the Clones using HD cameras, he really um, revolutionized filmmaking again. So I think that the visual effects are the most underappreciated part of the trilogy. What What's something that you think that the trilogy was missing that would have made it better? I think if Palpatine's schemes came into play earlier on like in the phantom menace because i think that we talked about this the other night that not having the same recurring villain throughout all three films is a weakness that they did great i think that's one of the great strengths of episodes seven eight and nine because kylo ren is such a badass and he's such an interesting villain he's in all three movies he's a major part of all three whereas maul dies Grievous dies, Count Dooku dies, but uh, again, those are like all what Vader would become. But I think that not, and same thing with the original trilogy, we have Vader throughout all three. So I think if we had Palpatine earlier, I think it would have been more interesting. I I definitely agree. And if maybe if not Palpatine, but maybe maybe Darth Maul wasn't killed and survived, and he could have been a presence in the next two movies as well. I think that would have been cool. I think that Darth Maul is going to be in the Obi Wan Kenobi show. That would be sick. I think he's going to be like the main villain. I think he's going to try to hunt him down like they did in the uh, animated series. That'd be badass. I think, but I think the biggest thing that the trilogy needed, and I know George Lucas wanted to do something different, but I think that it, the, the 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 they really needed a character like Han Solo. They needed someone that audiences would love and adore, and that was fun and exciting to be around, and funny and charming, and because. Han Solo, you could argue, is the most loved character in all of Star Wars. And I think that there are no characters even close to him in terms of his personality and what he represented um, in the in either of the next two trilogies. And so I think that if they had a character kind of like Han, it didn't have to be the same kind of thing, but like someone who was a, a main character who was great comic relief, very charming, very fun, but also important to the plot. Had a heartfelt story. I think that would have helped a lot. Just they should have just had a Harrison Ford just play some <laughs> random droid or something. <laughs> yeah, they just need someone to be fun. That's well, speaking all. of droids, it's it's a lot of fun to have R two D two and, and C three PO, which is pretty cool. Like those are fun parts of the trilogy. C three PO origins. <laughs> I mean, R two D two lights some dude on fire. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> I also think that. Maybe just a little less politics in the first one, a little faster. It also, the first movie has a lot of scenes. Like, there's a lot of scenes. I get what they're trying to do because it is kind of interesting when you look at it from a political standpoint because it's oh, yeah. stuff that happens yeah, yeah. in our in our world. So it's actually interesting. But for in terms of it being a Star Wars movie, let's let's tone it down a little bit. Yeah, a little a little let's less. See some more lightsabers. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I think that there would have been a cool if there was a cool scene. So when Anakin and Padme are chilling in, in Attack of the Clones for like an hour of the movie's runtime, just like hanging out, 
I think it would have been cool because not much happened there except for, yes, they're developing the relationship. But I think it would have been cool if, like, a group of assassins came to try and assassinate Padme and Anakin had to to stop them and save her. And in doing so, maybe he, like, ruthlessly kills them. Like, when he, like, maybe excessive force, like, just straight mercs them if maybe they give up or something and he still slaughters them. And so it could be a hint of his darkness right there. That's a good point. I think that something like that, like an action beat with their storyline, would have been really helpful in the second film. Oh, I can't believe we just we totally missed or forgot about this this point of the attack of the clones is the battle on Geonosis. That's one of the coolest scenes in the entire trilogy for sure. Where it's it's all the Jedi yeah. battling the droids in the arena with Count Dooku in control, and that's an epic scene. That's one of the best scenes in the film for movies for sure in the prequels. Yeah, and epic lightsaber battles. We actually see a lot of them. A lot of Jedi die and fall. We also see the birth of Boba Fett after Jango Fett got, gets his head cut off by Mace Windu. Um, and then Yoda and the Jedi and his troops come and save them. So sorry for not bringing that scene up, guys, earlier, but I just realized that we didn't talk about it. What's your problem, man? I, know, I don't know what's wrong with us, man. <laughs> Have you ever even seen a Star Wars movie? Jeez, you guys host a movie podcast. <laughs> what's your favorite new like set, planet, environment? What in in this trilogy? My favorite planet or set? Yeah, either one or like city. I really like the um, planet that Obi Wan goes to in Attack of the Clones when he's inv- investigating uh, the leads for the Dart, and that's where he finds the clone army that he's not supposed to know about. Tapoca City. Yeah, but I think this planet's really fascinating because when he lands and gets there, it's like there's no light. It's like a dark planet, and it's like there's climate. It's a horrible climate. It's like on an ocean, I think, where they are. It's a water planet. But then when he goes inside, um, the lights are incredibly bright. There's these tall, elegant aliens that that run the place. It's a really cool place. I actually had that for my pick, too. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's all, it's, so it's called Topoka City. I think it, I like the set as well. And I like how it's like typical looking aliens, what, we're, what we have always imagined aliens to look like. These aliens look like them, yeah. as opposed to the Star Wars movies have always had really cool looking aliens that had never been you know what the famous look of an alien is and so i think that i really like this this place as well it was super cool so in terms of the obi-wan tv show apparently hayden christensen will act in it as well as vader oh that's confirmed so i'm super curious about how it will play out because obi-wan will be in the desert looking after luke from a distance so maybe the plot could revolve around Anakin is maybe looking for his son, possibly. Or either Obi-Wan needs to stop Anakin from carrying out some evil plan or something. Well, I think that the reason why they went to Tatooine is because it'd be the last place that Vader would ever look. So I don't know if he's going to be looking for him on Tatooine. Maybe we'll see Vader looking for him through the galaxy but I don't see maybe Vader coming back. I think that that's why they hide him there is because he wouldn't want to go and face the trauma of his past. So Obi-Wan won't spend too much time on Tatooine then. Maybe a think? good amount of time. Maybe he's out doing some other missions and stuff for the like Jedi. Like Mandalorian style? Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably what it would well, be. Well, is the Jedi extinct by, mostly by then? Pretty much, obviously. Yeah, so we wouldn't be going on missions for them. But, but we're going to be learning new things from it, you know? Yeah, so maybe Vader is carrying out some crazy evil plans and plots with the Emperor. Well, in yeah, this means the Emperor will be in it too. And then Obi-Wan has to try and stop them. I personally don't see Vader being a huge character in the series. I think that it's going to be Darth Maul, the main villain. But um, I could be wrong. But I just don't see that 
they would you have the character of Vader be a villain in a TV show. You know what I mean? He's a movie villain, but have him subtly in the mo- in the show. I think. Yeah. You know, I don't think that they'd waste him on that. Yeah, you might. Yeah, I think it would work best if he's a minimal villain. As yeah, well. just subtly in it. Yeah, yeah. Want to do some fun facts? Let's go. During filming, Ewan McGregor made lightsaber noises as he dueled. George Lucas, George Lucas tried to explain to him many times that the sound effects crew would add the lightsaber effects in post-production. But Ewan kept saying, but Ewan kept getting carried away while filming and couldn't stop doing the noises. Natalie Portman missed the premiere party of The Phantom Menace in New York City because she had to go home to study for her high school final exams. When fully dressed and in makeup, Natalie Portman and Kira Knightley resembled each other so much that even Knightley's mother, Charmin McDonald, who visited the set, had trouble identifying her own daughter. During the first week of the trailer's release, many theaters reported up to a 75% increase in their audiences, paying full price for a random movie and then walking out after watching the Star Wars trailer. So all these people went to buy tickets to movies just so they could see the Phantom Menace trailer when it came out. This was before movies were movie trailers were released online, guys. According to George Lucas, Obi-Wan's hiding in Geonosis's asteroid field teaches young Boba Fett a lesson that he uses to his advantage during adulthood. Having learned how Obi-Wan hid from him and his father, Boba knows the trick Han Solo Boba knows the trick Han Solo is using to hide in Star Wars Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, and is able to find him and lead Darth Vader to them. That's great. That's a great point. Yeah, because he's hiding behind the other rock. Asteroid, not a rock there. A lot bigger. Okay. (laughs) Well, is it a rock? It's a really big rock. (laughs) Ewan McGregor stated that before filming began, he and Liam Neeson were taken to a private room at Lucasfilm where employees approached them with a long wooden box. When they opened the box, they, they saw 20 different lightsaber hilts. Neeson and McGregor were given 10 minutes to choose which lightsaber hilt they wanted for their character. Lucas wanted to make sure it was a brief encounter so that they could spontaneously pick the lightsaber that they felt was right for them rather than overanalyzing the sabers. Samuel L. Jackson had the words bad mother effer engraved on the hilt of his lightsaber. The same words obviously are famously printed on the wall of his character Jules in Pulp Fiction. Oh my god, okay, ready? Many high-profile actors auditioned for the part of Anakin Skywalker. These included Paul Walker, Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, Joshua Jackson, and Leonardo DiCaprio. In the end, Hayden Christensen got the part primarily because he and Natalie Portman looked good together. Yoda is voiced by the same person who voices Miss Piggy. If you listen to them carefully, they kind of sound the same. Frank Oz voiced both these characters. In 2007, a psychiatrist in France co-wrote a study that diagnosed Anakin Skywalker as having borderline personality disorder. They cite significant criteria such as difficulty controlling anger, stress-related breaks with reality, impulsivity, obsession with abandonment, and a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of ideation and devaluation. 
And that wraps our episode on the Star Wars prequels. I'm sure we'll revisit these films some other time down the road, but we really hope you enjoyed this episode. In the meantime, become a patron patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. Check out our website, RaidersofLostPodcast.com. Get all of your merch and movie posters. Be sure to follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Hit those notification bells. Leave us some reviews and subscribe on YouTube, and that's everything. Thank you so much. Take care, everyone.